0: I'm so very happy to introduce Nick Salofsky and Richard Margolius, authors of Pathway to Success, Taking Conservation to Scale and Complex Systems. This is going to be a wonderful conversation for us to learn a little bit more about conservation, but also understanding understanding how systems thinking applies to conservation. So I'm going to start with you first, Nick. Would you please tell us a little bit about your background and maybe even what motivated you to work on this book? And then we'll go to Richard.
1: Sure. Thanks, Madhavi so i started off life as a behavioral ecologist i was lucky enough in college to get a research project studying monkeys in the rainforest in borneo but while i was there living in the forest i got really interested in conservation and realized i better learn something about people and so i then moved to the village outside the national park where we were and spent a couple of years studying land use systems that people had there and retooling a bit as an economist And what it taught me is that conservation really takes place in a human landscape and really involves people.
0: Thank you very much. And and I have many follow-up questions for you with regard to that. So Richard, would you please uh, tell us a little bit about your background as well?
2: Sure. I'm Richard Margolis. I'm currently the uh, Chief Adaptive Management Evaluation Officer at the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation in Palo Alto, California. Probably the most relevant part of my career, started. I started as a disaster epidemiologist and really through my background in public health, saw the linkages between human health and a healthy environment. And so moved from public health more into the environment where I met Nick and then try to take a lot of the concepts and ideas in public health and apply them to the nascent field of conservation, including a lot of the things that you find in the book that we just wrote.
0: Now this book builds on another book and also deals with a concept uh, that not everybody completely understands. So could we start off with just defining what is conservation?
1: For us, conservation is really both a noun and a verb. Let me give you a quick example here. If I were to say that there were two patches of forest and one had a community that lived in one corner of the forest and they hunted throughout the forest. And then the other patch of forest, no human being had ever set foot in it. And I asked you, which would be better conserved? Most people would say, well, the one that's pristine, that has all the ecology and species intact, that would be better conserved. But if I gave you one additional piece of information which is in that six months, a big logging company was gonna come and cut down that second piece of forest. Even though it's still, the trees are standing there, that threat means that that piece of forest is probably less conserved. And so what that teaches us is that conservation is both, or three things. It is the status of the biodiversity, the species and animals that are, we care about, but it's also the mitigation or lack of threats that might be harming that biodiversity. And it's the presence of human actors who can care for and, and tend to that biodiversity going forward. And so for us, it's a complex system and to have conservation, you need to think about all three of those things.
0: Uh, thank you very much, Nick. I, I have a follow-up question to that. And it's just, it's related to what you just said. It's the human element. So conservation is relative to human perceptions of biodiversity, human perception of the world around us to some extent. Would you say that that's perhaps maybe one limitation of thinking from a conservation perspective?
1: Yes, it's it's really a human-managed system. And maybe a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, when humans weren't everywhere in the world, we could think about completely natural ecosystems. But now with threats like global warming or invasive species or pollutions that are persistent throughout the world, We can't just do what we tried to do 50 years ago and wall off biodiversity in a protected area or park. Parks are still very important, but we also need to think about putting conservation to the human landscape and making choices about what it is that we would like to see in in the natural world.
0: So when we think about a systems thinking or systems approach with regard to conservation, as some people may recognize systems thinking is actually an adaptation from the business disciplines as well as other areas how does that tie in and how does that add to even your earlier book if i could ask
2: systems thinking is really the first step for the the work that nick and i have have been producing over the years and it's something that at least for the conservation community it's 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 a relatively new idea that's that's been been pulled in but we really have borrowed from lots of fields business social sciences to be able to pull in some of these ideas and and be able to apply them to to conservation. But for us, it's really starting off by figuring out what is the problem that you're trying to solve. And systems analysis really helps you do that. And it helps you orient yourself in a way, rather than saying, I'm just going to apply a specific conservation action, like conservation education, or figuring out a way of providing economic incentives, figuring out what is the action I can take in the system that's going to have the highest likelihood of success so that I can reach my conservation goals.
0: So from this perspective, when when you're thinking about it from a systems approach, does this also mean that you're also looking at it from risk tolerance perspective and also to the extent that perhaps systems thinking is not implemented in current evaluations? Are evaluations currently, would you describe them as being more static and this approach being more dynamic and perhaps can be more parallel? to the natural world in terms of the dynamic elements that exist there?
2: We like to think of evaluation being important, but really thinking of it as evaluative thinking in a more continuous way. So yes, I think traditionally, at least in conservation, evaluation has been applied as a very static tool. But what we try to do is integrate this notion of evaluative thinking and a process that we call adaptive management in the conservation community has really picked up on over the last 20 years. So that you're continuously asking questions, testing your assumptions and learning as you're moving forward to make sure that you're hitting the conservation goals that you've set for yourself.
0: I need to switch back to Nick because of his economics training as well. And and, and ask just where do you see the limitations in current economic evaluation when it comes to the environment and, and how is this? additive to that?
1: So I think a lot of economics is really about the study of human behavior, especially some of the new behavioral economics work. And so what we're really interested in, because people are so integral to conservation and people's behaviors are both part of the problem and part of the solution, we really need to understand what motivates people. Obviously, money is a motivator of people, but there are many other things that motivate people as well. And so I think economics writ large is a discipline that helps people understand what those motivations are, what moves people, and how we can get them to stop doing the things that might be harmful to biodiversity and start doing the things that might be helpful for biodiversity and the conservation goals that we have.
0: When you talk about these goals, you've also mentioned to me, and I have the opportunity to talk to you privately, related to the Conservation Measures Partnership, which is an outcome of your last book, the first that you jointly wrote. Can you talk a little bit more about what your aspirational goals are with regard to building on that and what you're hoping to to see in terms of traction or changes in institutions?
1: Sure. This is Nick. So if we go back to Measures of Success, Measures was really written for a project manager. So someone managing a, a local park or maybe a small community project. And that's where conservation was 20 years ago. And as a part of that, we created with a bunch of our colleagues, this conservation measures partnership, which was designed a group of individuals and organizations who are all interested in using these agile, adaptive approaches to make conservation better. So rather than the old command and control, try something and hope it know it's going to work, it's being much more inquisitive about what you're doing, trying to learn as you go, fail fast, all those kinds of things that are happening in many different disciplines. Now that conservation requires tackling problems like global warming or the need to do 30% of the world's surface in protected areas by 2030, which is one of the UN goals, we have to scale up our work. And so Pathways is really extending these concepts and saying, how do we work not just at a project scale, but at a much bigger program and landscape scale? And of course, when you move up in scale things get more complex and so we have to adapt our methods and our approaches to to work at that scale and that's a large part of what pathways is about
0: could you just maybe give us a brief list of of the type of institutions that you're hoping will look at this as a as an as, as a tool in terms of their own conservation policies
2: well so we have historically worked with a lot of nonprofit organizations and the at the beginning of the conservation measures partnership it was really The nonprofit organizations based in the United States that kicked that off. But I think what what happened in that case was that a, a lot of the organizations were looking at the work that we had done with Measures of Success and some of the work that their colleagues had done as well and realized there's a lot more similarities here than differences. And so can we join forces and work on this together so that we're not kind of that, that we can avoid redundancies and, and not waste resources working on similar approaches to conservation. That then extended to private philanthropy. A lot of private donors joined the Conservation Measures Partnership. We got organizations, government agencies like USAID, some of the big international organizations like the World Bank as well. And so really what we're hoping is that the, the audiences are these program managers that are working in a lot of these different types of organizations who can all come together around this framework.
0: But the general person who isn't going to be in that kind of decision-making platform, what could they take away from this discussion in terms of what conservation is and how they can play a part in facilitating it?
2: What well, we're hoping that pathways to success does, as did measures of success, is to provide a bit of a roadmap so that people can understand when they invest in a particular project or they send their money to a, an organization, that they know that, are, that money is leading to the things that they're hoping to achieve. So for example, I'll take my particular case. I used to always talk to my grandmother about when she would make donations to large international organizations, conservation organizations, she would always say, how do I know that my money is actually saving the cheetah or saving the rhino? And I said, well, you know, you can ask uh, these organizations to provide some evidence that what's the investments that they're making is actually leading to those conservation outcomes. So at least I'm personally hoping that this is a bit of a roadmap, not only for the people who are actually doing the work, but for the people that are supporting the work too, to be able to gauge that, that their investments are leading to the things that they're hoping to achieve with their conservation dollars.
1: Or put another way, you want I think people to become informed consumers and and to really think about how both their time and their effort and money that they're spending in conservation that's leading to the right outcomes.
0: In many ways, would you say it really comes down to closing that information asymmetry gap, that where where that becomes a point the point of pressure both for the institutions that you're hoping to see adopt a more comprehensive evaluation tool as well as even the individual who provides. Donations to support these entities. Maybe this is a question: is, is the asymmetry of information one of the biggest problems? The fact that we do not have a consistency with across all of us with regard to the significance, importance, and interrelationship between human life and the environment.
1: I think that this is Nick. That's absolutely right. I think that part of the challenge here is obviously as a layperson you may not be able to go to africa to see whether that rhino or gorilla conservation is actually working but you can still ask do the people i'm supporting have the systems in place can they make a convincing argument it's just like you wouldn't want to go to a doctor that wasn't able to show you that they're using evidence in the treatment of you you want to do the same ask the same question of your, your of your conservation organizations do they have the systems in place and Maybe rely on rating agencies or people who can help you understand whether the, the groups you're, you're, you're working with and supporting are actually doing things in the proper way.
0: Thank you both very, very much. This is really an interesting conversation. I'm sure that people will learn a lot more by just reading one approach specifically, and hopefully that would increase their interest in learning more. As we're saying right now, that asymmetry of information perhaps maybe being the most significant stumbling block to change. So thank you.
2: Thank you,
1: Madhavi. Thank you, Madhavi. Thanks for the opportunity to chat with you and your listeners.